What We Consume. Ahoy, ahoy, and welcome to What We Consume, a podcast about all the things we put into our minds and bodies. I'm your host, King Hagathor, and with me as always, my friend and co-host... Hey, it's me, Kevin. What's up, everybody? I'm ready for the long ride again. We're hauling it out. I'm back from vacation. I'm refreshed. I'm here to talk. Also, King, so with last week's episode, I didn't know that the last one that we talked about were the big kid, uh, like ejected out of the rod i didn't know the one at icon park yeah that was recent right yeah that was this year the like yeah so what was weird is we were looking on or i was looking on twitter and it just popped up and i was like oh my gosh that was like super recently they're still going through like lawsuits and people are still arguing about like what should and shouldn't happen and right it's actually a big thing i didn't know it was that like prevalent right now yeah i guess i did kind of underplay it so that's on me sorry but yes so today we are back with part two of muse to death last time we talked about the history of roller coasters as well as some of the amusement park's most dreadful disasters while last week you kept up bringing up that imaginary boogeyman the stereotype of the lonely kid in all black with the uh, buttons and dangles and whatnot we actually do have some villains this week Ooh, do they wear black and are they weird? They are weird, they do not wear black. Do they have ejection ejection buttons that they click and they just send people flying? No, they have, um, well, I wouldn't say more subtle approaches, but they certainly have their own bag of tricks. So they're not like the main villain guy from Minions, or I guess there's another, he has his own movie. Uh, uh, Despicable Me. Despicable Me. That's the guy I, th- I picture no, in the corners. No, this one's a little bit... We'll get to it later. So we have a few more incidents to cover, but first we need to address something that I've been slacking on for a little bit. We need to talk about the CPSC, the Consumer Product Safety Commission. It was created in Oct- on October 24th, 1972 as an independent federal regulatory for customer products in order to, quote, save lives and keep families safe by reducing the reasonable, the unreasonable risk of injuries and deaths associated with consumer products. Basically, so, these are just narcs that don't want you to have fun and let you play with dangerous toys. So they're like, yeah, fireworks are bad to have on uh, your Barbie doll. It can blow your hand off. No, it's just these guys won't let you. So there are other agencies in the United States that also work in this area, like the Department of Transportation covers vehicles, and the Food and Drug Administration obviously focuses on food and drugs. So when the CPSC was founded, they were in charge of amusement park safety and inspection. With that in mind, let's go over a few more amusement park incidents. We'll start with the uh, international ones, and then we'll uh, and then we'll get back to the American ones. So is this CPS? C, is that correct? Yeah. Are they only for America or are they for the world? They're only for America. Um, Okay. I didn't look into the international regulatory for these specific countries, but I'm sure they have their own. And keep in mind, this is not a full list of like every accident that's happened. It's just cherry-picked ones that are interesting. Expo Land was built in 1970 in Osaka, Japan, and was quickly very popular with thrill-seekers. In 1992, Expo Land opened Fujin Raijin 2, named after the Japanese gods Fujin, the god of wind, and Raijin, god of thunder, lightning, and storms. The ride operated for 15 years, thrilling guests without a single incident. That all changed May 5, 2007, when an axle snapped, causing the card to derail. It injured 18 passengers and killed Yoshino Kogawara, uh, sorry, Kogawara, a 19-year-old woman. During the investigation that followed, an operator claimed that the ride had been inspected every year, but the inspection that February had not been completed. Investigators found that the axle had snapped because it had not been replaced in the entire 15-year run. Three employees at the park would end up being charged and found guilty of professional negligence in death and injury, as well as falsely claiming that the park conducted regular checks on the roller coaster. The park was temporarily closed, and the roller coaster was destroyed. Yoshino's mother said of the incident, I don't forgive Expo Land because it betrayed my daughter and the and other people who only wanted to have fun. 
It would appear she was not lo- not alone in this thinking, because when the park reopened, nobody came. Sponsors refused to be associated with the park after the incident, and in 2009, Expo Land, had, as it existed, closed down for good. In 2015, Expo Land finally reopened, but it was no longer a thrill-seeker's paradise. Instead, its main appeal was a giant Ferris wheel and retail entertainment precinct. Damn. So 15 years and the, that part didn't get replaced? I, I would say it is, like their fault but still how do you inspect something for 15 years and you don't see that it has the same it's the same part well chances are they weren't inspecting it as thoroughly as they were supposed to or they claimed to so what happened when the axle snapped did like the roller coaster or is it it a roller coaster yeah it went straight off the tracks and it only killed one person yeah, uh, and it's really unfortunate because it went off the track sideways, and unfortunately where she was seated happened to be closest to the guardrail on the side, and she hit her head and oh. passed away. So did it, like, land and just, like, skid out? Like, it was, like... It, oh. it, it didn't fly off the track, it tilted off the track. Oh, so, so it, like... So then it slid at an angle and hit her. Okay, so these if these people weren't like ejected off of the roller coaster, the safety right. the safety measures still kept it to like hang them on. It's just it like hit her head on the guardrail. Okay, right. So eighteen other people were injured uh, in various states of minor to intense. Her friend that she was riding with that was next to her got injured pretty thoroughly, but yeah, she was the only one who actually was killed. You said this was in Japan. Yeah. Good for uh, them for, like, boycotting it. If that would have been America, we would have all been there, been like, oh, we're going back. It, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have mattered if somebody died. Yeah, it, it would have been, it was just one, you know. Yeah. Um, so next we'll move on to Australia. Unfortunately, Australia had another one that needs to be talked about. Dream World Australia is uh, Australia's biggest theme park because it's also a zoo. So this is just a massive place. So it's got the zoo on one side and the amusement park on the others. Can't imagine the animals are super thrilled about all that noise, but... I bet they love it. They're like, ah, mate, you can take a koala. And that is a bad voice. You can, I was going to say, you can take a koala on, on the roller coaster with you. But the, I, I don't know where I went. That was like, not Australian. Let's move on. <laughs> For like half a second, you you were like sounding pretty good. <laughs> Just bailed on me. I don't know what okay. that sounded like. That was weird. Uh, okay, so anyways, um, one of the main attractions, attractions was the Thunder River Rapids. The Thunder River Rapids, I don't know if you had one of these um, at the theme parks you went to. There was one at the theme park I went to. I think it was called uh, Fury of the Nile. But it's essentially like it's a big round inner tube with with like six seats on top and so you're all like facing the circle of the inner tube uh and then you go down somewhat on rails white water rapids yeah there's a Uh, there's a at disney there's like a jurassic park ride that does that hint hint where we're going eventually sometime but not that ride but at disney or universal i don't know because i don't uh, remember i know universal has Jurassic Park uh, river ride, but that's more of a boat, whereas this is like a big circular maybe, raft. Maybe it was a boat. I well, I remember riding some type of raft in the water. I don't know. I think it was Jurassic Park. I'm going to have to look at it. I'll have to I'll research this, and we'll be back with you next episode to tell you if I'm wrong or not. <laughs> but yeah, I love these. So, Pretty sure they are. They also have one at Dolly World. So, if we go, you said Dolly World, right? Dollywood, Dollywood. Dollywood. Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, for some reason, I thought you said Dog World. <laughs> That'd be lit. So here's a picture of the ride. If you, yeah, 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 yeah. Ro- rode these bad boys. So on the day of October 25th, 2016, the ride was operating, and the guests, and to the guests, nothing was wrong. But unbeknownst to them, a pump had failed, leaving the water levels dangerously low. 
What followed would be considered the worst theme park accident since the ghost train fire we discussed in part one. This dangerously low water level meant one raft was trapped at a ramp, bumping into it as it proceeded. The The ramp had escalator-type rail underneath to pull the boats up. Yeah, like a conveyor belt type thing. Thank you, conveyor yes. belt. Don't you but, work in a factory that has conveyor belts? Dude, I'm operating on two hours of sleep. Give me a break. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so... Because the water level was low, it wasn't getting enough height to actually reach it, so it just kept bumping up against it. And because it was stuck there, another raft stuck behind it kept bumping into it multiple times. The collision from behind and the treads of the ramp combined to vertically flip one of the rafts, dragging it down into the mechanism. Oh my so this God. was a so full... they were upside down strapped in. Not upside down, but vertical. Oh, so, that's wild. You know, yeah. This was a full boat. It had four adults and two children. Uh, the two children were somehow able to escape and get away from the mechanism, but the other four were pulled into the machine and so, killed. Like, So it's like how you feel when your shoelace is untied on an escalator and when you get to it, it's just sucking you in and sucking you in and they were basically getting sucked in? Oh, yeah. That actually happened to my sister on that trip we took down to Universal Studios. Uh, like, we were in the airport. I'm not sure if it was our am- airport or the Orlando airport, but yeah, she got her um, shoelace caught in an escalator and it just started you know, trying to drag her down. And my dad just yanked on the uh, shoelace and it came up like half a shoelace because like the rest have been pulled into the machine. Escalators are scary, man. Honestly, if I was your sister, I would have shit myself. I'm going to be honest. I would have pooped all over the place and been screaming. The whole trip would have been over at that point. Uh, Well, uh, it was a momentary uh, fright that we weren't expecting, but... um, think you almost had your own amused to death story i'm glad i didn't uh, <laughs> so you know four adults are killed the two children survive horrible accident it brought a blitz of safety inspections and audits for the theme park as well as a criminal investigation into how such a horrific event could occur it had been it was found that the pump had already failed twice that day which according to procedure meant it was supposed to shut down the ride uh completely until an inspection could be conducted instead it was just reset and started operating normally again and they just shrugged it off and let it continue the third failure is what caused the incident to occur the ride had not been properly assessed for safety risk since it had opened 28 years earlier that's insane amount of time for no accountability essentially they were just like well it's working right now, so and they we don't probably need to reassess. They probably would have been fine if they weren't fools and followed the freaking procedure. Oh, it broke two times. Just shut it down and make sure nobody dies. But they were just like, "Oh, go get the oh my gosh, what is with my voices? I keep going like Chinese or something with I don't know." <laughs> Anyway, so there were multiple other issues, poor maintenance, inadequate shutdown procedure, lack of a water level sensor, which had been advised during a previous audit and also would have only cost them $3,000. I mean, $3,000, like, is, you know, it's not pocket change, but for an amusement park company, $3,000 is 20 minutes, 20 minutes of work, Um, yeah. But they chose not to do it. There was also a lack of proper information, training, instruction, and supervision. Ultimately, the court deemed that the company had failed in its duty of care and was fined uh, $4.5 million Australian, or $3.16 million American. I think it should have been more. That, that, those, they're, that should well, have been so much more. That's just the fine. I believe oh. there was also settlements with the family that were... Um, probably altogether much more than that, but those settlements are usually kept secret. There's no way they're in business, right? There's they they got put out. Dreamworld. Um. No, I think I think Dreamworld's still in operation. The ride was certainly destroyed, though. 
I don't know. I don't know if I could go back after learning all that stuff. Be like, I don't trust him. Yeah, so Dreamworld is still open, but uh, that ride was definitely shut down, and I think they had a memorial, ser- uh, like a memorial plaque put up. I know they did for the Ghost Fire that we talked about in part one. I think they also had one for this, or they were working on it. Because um, remember, this was just uh, 2016, so in the grand scheme of things, not that long ago. No, not at all. Okay, so the next one is the uh, Superman Tower of Power at Six Flags Kentucky Kingdom in 2007. So we're back in the U.S. now. A Kentucky Kingdom. That's like then is that the place that it's at, or did they just name it Kentucky Kingdom? So I think it was originally just called Kentucky Kingdom, and then when Six Flags took it over, they just slapped on Six Flags Kentucky Kingdom. Oh, they didn't change it to Six Flags over Kentucky. Like, no, um, like everything else. During Six Flags' heyday, they mostly just like took over parks and then slapped their name in front of it without the Six Flags over blank. So this ride had previously been known as the Elevator, but then after Six Flags took it over, they renamed it the Superman Tower of Power. So this is another drop tower. So according to KLTV... Quote, riders are strapped in and taken up 177 feet before a free fall of 154 feet, reaching a speed of 54 miles an hour before easing to a stop 20 feet above the ground. For 13-year-old Caitlin Lassiter, their first trip on the ride went exactly like that. But the line was short, so she and her group decided to ride it again. On their second ride, as they were reaching the summit of the initial descent, just as they were getting to the top ready to drop, a cable snapped and landed on Caitlin and several others. They screamed to stop the ride. The ride operators heard the cable snap and the screams, but failed to stop the ride before it dropped. Both operators were under 18. On the descent, the cable wrapped around Caitlin's legs, snapping her femur and tearing off both of her legs below the knee. Holy sh- That is a nightmare scenario. Yeah. Like, that is gruesome. Yeah. Once the ride was stopped and first responders got to the scene, they were able to find both of her legs, and the right leg was successfully reattached. Unfortunately, the left leg was too badly damaged, and she must now wear a prosthetic below the knee. But she didn't die? No, she did not die. You get two legs ripped off, and you... Oh my... And all that other stuff, and you survive? Yeah. That's, Uh, That's wild. So the Kentucky Department of Agriculture deemed the faulty cable and the slow response time by the operators were the biggest factors in the incident. No shit. However, they were unable to determine why the cable snapped. Since the incident, Caitlin has had to undergo four amputation surgeries because the bone was growing through the muscle and skin on her leg because this happened when she was 13. You know, she still had multiple years of growing. And in total, her medical bills have been over... $500,000. And she shouldn't have to pay a dime of that. God bless America. So Caitlin's family sued Kentucky Kingdom and were given an undisclosed settlement. I found some sources that said one of the conditions was medical care for life, but I I couldn't verify if that was entirely true because, like I said, it's an undisclosed settlement. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be something like that, and there's no way they're taking less than a million dollars. Like, it's it's some large sum, regardless. Oh, for sure. These these kind of lawsuits always end up being in the millions, easily. So the next one we have is Batman the Ride. So, uh, we're really working through the DC rides. They just, they just tear apart their riders. That's why people love it. Yeah, so... I'm sure you must have heard of this one. This one was at Six Flags Over Georgia in 2008. Erected in 1992, Batman the Ride was an inverted roller coaster based on the popularity of the Tim Burton Batman movies and the animated series. In 2008, Asia LaShawn Ferguson was at the Georgia-based Six Flags with his church group. At some point during a a day of fun and amusement, Ferguson and another boy hopped two six-foot fences brandishing warnings to do not enter, and restricted area. Why they did was kind of hard to pin down, depending on like which source you went with. Some said that he had lost his hat in the area and wanted to retrieve it. 
Others thought that he and the other boy were just taking a shortcut. Like they had they had left the park for like lunch or something and then they were coming back in and trying to get back to the ride so they just, you know, hopped the fences. Or, you know, I mean, he was a teenager, just, you know, wanted to check out a restricted area. I'm not sure exactly why he was there. But whatever the reason they happened to be in the area, Ferguson was struck by the passing train from the Batman ride at its top speed around 50 miles per hour and he was decapitated. Mm-hmm. None of the riders or the boy with Ferguson were injured. That wasn't the only time the ride had taken a life. Six years earlier, in 2002, groundskeeper Samuel Milton Guyton had been in a restricted area of the ride when the dangling legs of a passenger struck his head, killing him as well. For our eighth grade trip, we went to Six Flags, and everybody was talking about the first one that you were talking about and then in 2000 yeah and then in 2008 everybody talked about some kid getting uh decapitated like it was huge talk in high school yeah i mean it's incredibly sensational like and it stopped no one from going (laughs) yeah well i mean like in this case oh it was it was like the on the one shouldn't hand, shouldn't have been in there. Probably, yeah, they shouldn't have been in there. On the on the other hand, like there's really no reason for the roller coaster to be that close to the ground, except for you know not wanting to pay the extra amount to have the ride higher. But like, yeah, two people get killed in the same way. You think they'd like dig ditches underneath the tracks or something, like just to make it a little bit further down. So next we have Son of Beast, Kings Island. In 2006. So Son of Beast was created in 2000 as a sequel to the park's most famous ride, The Beast. The Beast was 110 feet tall. Son of Beast eclipsed eclipsed its predecessor, standing 218 feet tall, making it one of the first wooden roller coasters over 200 feet tall. And it also contained a 118 foot loop. So before its completion, Paramount, owner of Kings Island, fired Roller Coaster Company of Ohio, who were building the roller coaster, and had to make several design corrections in the first year. So Son of Beast had six incidents where guests reported injuries. Again, it's a wooden roller coaster. They kind of suck, inherently. But the most famous of these was from 2006, when a wooden beam cracked, sending 27 people to the hospital. The beam was one of the main support beams, and the crack caused a dip in the track, jolting the rider severely. It, it was basically like a pothole. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of the injuries were minor, but still required a hospital checkup. One woman sued for hip and back injuries and was rewarded with an undisclosed settlement. Forensic engineer Rick Schmies reported that in his opinion, the owners were, quote, negligent and put passengers at risk by ignoring flaws and then trying to correct them with band-aid fixes ohio department of agriculture deemed the accident to be due to a design flaw so this thing like essentially they're saying this was always going to happen with this ride yeah inevitable can you that that must have sucked though like you were having fun and then just Boom. And then you have, like, severe whiplash and great. Before we get to our last story today, it's time for today's history lesson. One of the only sources I could find for this was uh, Skip Hollinsworth for uh, Texas Monthly. Great article. And everything I've read from Skip Hollinsworth and Texas Monthly have been pretty solid. I'm pretty sure he's one of the people uh, that gets cited a lot in um, uh, Last Podcast on the Left. Because they, they also use Texas Monthly as a source from time to time. And I can see why this article was fantastic. Most of the information about this, the early stuff, was from the article. Because I could find no other sources on it. So, away we go. In 1966, Bob Henry, an accountant from Houston, and his wife Billy were discussing moving. They had become weary of big city life and thought a change to a smaller, quieter location would be good for them and their three children. Gary, Jeff, and Jana. Might be Yana, but I think it's Jana. Billy found an ad in the paper for a 13-acre campground called Camp Landa in the country town of New Braunfels between Austin and San Antonio. The campground was seated on the Como River, a gentle tributary of the Guadalupe River. The five Henrys hopped in their family car to go take a look. 
once there, even though the place was kind of dilapidated, like the camp buildings were all like pretty shitty and run down, Bob instantly fell in love with the area and purchased the property that day. Can you imagine that? Like, your family's just like, all right, let's go check out this place. Maybe we'll buy it. And then, like, that day, it's just like, all right, kids, pack your shit. We're moving here. <laughs> no, but I, w- I think I would have loved it. Yeah. Uh, this does sound like a pretty fun area to grow up in. I imagine, like, you'd have to live without some of the necessities of life because this was 66, so... I don't even know if they had indoor plumbing at first. Oh, I mean, probably not. My mom was my mom was born in 63 and she didn't have indoor plumbing until she was a teenager. So that was yeah. like 70s. Yeah. So, maybe see. not okay. indoor plumbing. No, I knew they had to use an outhouse and stuff. It was but, something yeah. like that. It was something like totally ridiculous that you would never think you would have to experience now. Yeah, that's basically what I mean when I say indoor plumbing. It's it's mostly the toilet. Anyways, so after moving the family, the Henrys changed the property from Camp Landa to the Landa Resort. They lived in a small house, Billy ran a cafe, and to attract customers, Bob erected two slides that shot guests straight into the comal. The children would help with odd, jo- odd jobs on the properties grown up. The three uh, Henry children were had very different focuses growing up. So Gary, the oldest, was focused on his studies and eventually followed in his father's footsteps and became an accountant. Jana, the youngest, was also studious and majored in fashion merchandising when she went off to college. And then there's Jeff, the middle child. Jeff was about 10 when his family moved to the land of campground. He wasn't big on school. His interests were far more focused on the river. He'd swim, fish, canoe, hunt, and get into all sorts of shenanigans. He wasn't dumb, though. He gained river knowledge and used it to make some money. He'd give river tours, patch up used car tires to rent to tourists who wanted to float the river, and even operated a petting zoo. A petting zoo? Yeah, um... I wonder if this is, like, things that he found. Like, he was like, oh, that's a lizard. We're gonna take it back. A raccoon? Yeah, I feel like uh, operating a petting zoo meant, like, he had, like, a goat and a dog and and, like... People were like, oh, can I pet the goat? It's like, it's a nickel to pet the goat. I didn't. 100%. But I, watch him have some like llamas or camels and ostriches and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Because it says he ran this. Not like his family had a petting zoo that like he was in charge of. It was he ran this. Like It implies that like he kind of made the whole thing himself. Which, I don't yeah, know. He, he was a mini entrepreneur. Yeah, he was just tugging his goat and his dog along, and he's like, you want to pet him? It's a nickel. Tugging his goat sounds like a euphemism. Uh, Well, they did like erecting and ejecting there, didn't they? Yeah. So, all these other activities affected his schoolie. When he could be bothered to show up, it was often barefoot and without his homework. He often refused to take tests because they were, quote, a waste of time. You think he brought his petting zoo to school? I don't think so. Somehow, he allegedly still got a high school diploma. Was there any rules back then? I don't think there was anything like on attendance or anything. What, this is like the 70s in like a rural place? They were just like, hopefully, well, they were probably handing them out. Well, so funny you say that because allegedly, like according to the family, the superintendent came to their house and was just like, we don't know what to do to, with Jeff. Here's a diploma so he doesn't have to come back to school. <laughs> They're like, your kid smells, doesn't do anything, and he brings his freaking paying zoo to school. We don't want to deal with this anymore. The goat is eating everything. Yeah, just make him something else's <laughs> problem. <laughs> he brought a snapping turtle and said it's part of this petting zoo. <laughs> Uh, so it, it, it bit her big toe. <laughs> so after high school, he opened an arcade bar in San Marcos, but he still worked on the resort with his father. While his siblings were off at college, he was still in the area. He created what he called a water break to slow guests down at the end of the slide so they wouldn't hit the river so hard. 
that's smart. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unless he like threw I, a snapping turtle in there. Like I said, he like he's not book smart, but he he does have some knowledge. He's just not formally very educated. So in 1977, when Jeff was 22, he and a buddy took a trip to Orlando, Florida. This trip would end up changing his family's lives forever. While in Florida, Jeff and his friend visited Wet n' Wild and Disney's River Country. At the time, there were only a handful of water parks in the entire country, like five in the entire country, and these were two of them. He went there, and he was amazed. He was blown away, and he took what he learned from the adventure back to the Lander Resort. Bob loved his ideas and quickly bought more property surrounding their home to expand and make their own water park. Two years later, in 1979, the Henrys opened their new water park. In keeping with the New Brunfels German heritage, they named the new resort Schlitterbahn. Schlitterbahn. Yeah. You don't have to tell me what that means because it sounds good and bad and... Have you never heard of Schlitterbahn? No. Okay. So, according to their website, Schlitterbahn means slippery road. But Schlittern means skid or slide, and Bahn means railway or train. So it's more like skid rail. Essentially, they just didn't do a very good translation, and they were just like, this works. Good. Cool word. Uh, nobody's going to know. It's like when people get tattoos of random words on their back in other languages. They have no idea what it means. Yeah, so I looked up uh, I looked up what you would actually say in German to say slippery road, and it was just far too complicated, so I just passed. <laughs> it's just, eh, not, not this time. <laughs> I really should have, because of Apparently, uh, some of my friends really like hearing me fuck up pronunciations. Yeah, you could have uh, just you could have just tried. I mean, I I can try right now. It's gonna be a nightmare. Uh, oh god. Rutsed Strasse. There was. It sounded like you knew what you were saying until you went. Rutsed Strasse. Yeah, something like that. Uh, you sounded just like a little Nazi. <laughs> Okay, so, (laughs) in any case, they attracted around 5,000 visitors in their first year. They would continue to grow and improve the park. Because of their work, the kids came home to help out. Gary came home to oversee the park's finances, and Jana focused on the marketing. And then there's Jeff. What do you think Jeff was in charge of? Expanding his petting zoo. That's a good guess. Uh, Obviously... Jeff was in charge of the rides, both in their design and construction. No! <laughs> the look on your face. Yeah. Jeff! So, so, like, nothing to disparage people who don't go to college for whatever reason. I get it. But when it comes to constructing rides that, like, involve high speeds and heights and, you know, like, tourists... Maybe you should have some formal education when it comes to math and physics. Like, maybe. Or engineering. Engineering would be a great one to have. Jeff didn't have any of that. Tests are a waste of time. Is it? Did, was he just making, like, big water slides? Yes. Mostly. That, I mean, there's so many... You could have so many problems, like, not enough water in there. So, like, if you're going down, your skin just gets peeled off. Like, there's so many things. Yeah, yeah, or or someone just slides out the side. Oh, it sounds like that's going to happen. So, he added a 50,000-foot pool for the second season and began thinking of bigger, more elaborate, and daring rides, like the hillside tube chute, the cliffhanger tube chute, the tunnel tube chute, and the 45-minute-long Raging River tube chute. Are they all tube shoots? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not great at making up names. <laughs> you could have you done anything. <laughs> like, Riverfall, uh, Washing Stream, you, anything is better than tube shoot. 
tube shoot, tube shoot, tube shoot, tube shoot. Yeah, so he encircled the park with a man-made river complete with light rapids, quick drops, and backwater eddies. Jeff didn't just work at Schlitterbahn rides. He also sold his technology around the world in places like the Bahamas and the Palm in Dubai. So he's basically like the inventor of a more hardcore lazy river. That's that's one of the things he did. I don't I I didn't see anything claiming someone else had come to it first. They might have, but he it, did make his own and he certainly wasn't like he got most of his ideas from uh, Roman aqueducts and Jules Verne novels. What uh, what is a Jules Verne novel? Uh so he wrote like uh 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, I think, and oh uh yeah he he was a science fiction author in the late 1800s these must have been fun rides for them to be like well, other people to be like we're buying this they they must have been and like to his credit like i wonder if we're most... riding i wonder if we're riding any of his now like his i mean they might have not been like made by him or anything but his like conceptual idea like there's a ride that you or a slide that you go to at one of your water parks if it was from him well we do have one that certainly seems like it was so in um 1989 he pushed himself to literal new heights when he created insano for a brazilian water park it was 135 feet tall making it at the time the tallest water slide in the world uh, is, he, is he the guy who just came up with, like, you build it as tall as you can and just drop him and hope that the gravity keeps him down into the slides? Kind of. Oh, mean, my I, gosh. I, yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing where it says he sold his technology. Like, what fucking technology? It's like, I built a bigger ramp. It's just, I guess they, knew that, they knew that his, his were working at the time and it hadn't killed too many people, maybe. Yeah. And they're like, um, we're, we're buying it. By 1990, Schlitterbahn's attendance was averaging 500,000 people annually. Holy uh, crap. Yeah. So in, what was that, uh, 79 to 90, so that'd be 11 years, went from 5,000 to 500,000. That, that is so many people. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Jeff continued to push the limits, teaming up with a surfer-turned-inventor, Tom Lockfield, to create the Boogie Bond, which was, according to Schlitterbahn, the first surfing simulator. So that's where they have that ramp that's constantly pumping water, and you try to boogie board on it. You are shitting me that these... Or you're telling me these two guys invented that? That's... I mean, that's what uh, Schlitterbahn claims, and I didn't see anything to immediately dispute it that is wild yeah they also worked together to create the dragon blaster a water coaster as they called it I'm, which I'm used glad, high... i'm glad the names are getting better yeah yeah <laughs> so uh they called it a water coaster because it used high pressure jets to push tubers over hills and turns that would not be possible on gravity power alone so i mean like this i would consider being like at least somewhat technology, whereas, I mean, like, it's better than just, like, I built a bigger ramp, but, I mean, it's it's still a water slide, <laughs> like... He's, he's just conceptualizing what every kid ever thought about when they were little. They were like, I want a water slide, and I wished I had the means to make it, and this guy did, and he was just slapping them together, and they were working. Yeah, so, um, things weren't all perfect for Jeff. He happened to... Enjoy the devil's lettuce, if you will. In, 1990, in 1994, he was arrested for possession of marijuana with intent to sell. He pled guilty to third-degree felony drug possession for having 17 ounces, which is nearly half a kilogram. Like, you know those bricks they use in cop shows? Uh, yeah. They're typically 500 grams or a pound, so this is more than that. So, like, this, this dude got caught with, like, a full brick and then some. I do. I could see a guy like this having that much. I mean, how else do you make up slides? Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, and and like he still continued like having bare feet and like conference meetings and like 
he drove an old truck. Like he never he never stopped his river rat ways from when he was a child. He just continued to be, and no one was going to stop him because he made him a lot of money. Yeah. So he also fought with those he worked with constructing water slides. An anonymous water park consultant told Skip Hollinsworth, you could be in his presence for 30 minutes and leave disliking him immensely. He always thought he was right. They probably brought up like math or physics. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like, no, this isn't physically possible. Fuck you! <laughs> you know? He's like, it just works. <laughs> yeah. Just try it. <laughs> Shut up and make it. <laughs> Uh, so his family was never really concerned about his lack of formal engineering skills. As Gary Henry put it, quote, That would be like someone being concerned that Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg didn't have a college degree. The people that have a spark of genius don't necessarily need college. Plus, Jeff always surrounded himself with other knowledgeable people who were able to do the numbers work that he wasn't inclined to do. He's there, got number people. He doesn't need to know them. There are so few people who turn out to be like Bill Gates and Zuckerberg and stuff. Like, they're, like for you to think that you're going to be one of those people is, I don't know. Also, I think, I think didn't that, they both get accepted to college and like go for a little? Like Zuckerberg went for a little while and then I'm assuming Bill did. Yeah, the thing people also forget is those guys started off with, like, a lot of money. Like, there's a lot of, like, oh, they built it in their garage. It was like, yeah, their their parents' spare garage because they had, like, a $600,000 house and, like, a shit ton of money that they could just, like, give. Like, Jeff Bezos started in a garage, but that's because his parents kept loaning him, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time. To others working in the industry, he was known as the Lord of the Slides, or the Wizard of Wet, ladies. The Lizards of... The Wizard of Wet? Yeah. What a name. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, starting in 1998 and continuing every year since then, Amusement Today has crowned the Schlitterbahn in New Braunfels, their first one, the best water park in the country every year. Is it still going? Oh, yeah. 1998 was also the year that Jeff acquired his new partner in crime, John Schooley. Schooley had been a yacht builder who pivoted to constructing slides for water parks in Asia. He also had no formal engineering credentials. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to start slapping things together and buy some land and hope it works. They opened more locations in Galveston, South Padre, and in 2005... They set their sights on Kansas City, Kansas. So this was uh, when I was in about 8th grade, and we heard that like we were getting a Schlitterbahn, and it was like, oh, that sounds awesome. They planned hotels, rental cabins, a retail district. This would have been massive. This would have been like a Disney World-type park. And it would have been fairly close to where I grew up, so like it was kind of exciting. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the only water, big water park that we have near us is a Six Flags water park. Yeah. Which is fun, but still. So the first yeah. one was in Galvin, Galveston, Texas? Uh, no, the the first one was in New Braunfels, but when they expanded, one of the ones they did was Galveston. And Galveston is kind of fascinating on its own. Um, it's It's an indoor park, but it has a retractable roof. So it can operate year-round, even when it's cold in Texas, like, they can close the roof. But I'm, I can almost guarantee Jeff had nothing to do with the construction of that. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm looking at the, the real one. There's, he did this stuff? Yeah. Holy crap. Well, I, I mean, he at least had a hand in it. And, like, I'm not... I'm not saying he built everything with his own two hands, but uh, he was the leader, or like the the overseer of all the construction, of all the designing, of all the plans. A real estate investment trust offered the Henrys a loan of $174.3 million, and the state of Kansas sweetened the deal with another $200 million in sales tax revenue bonds. But everyone's ambition and hubris ended up being more than they bargained for. Construction was slow, and in 2008, when the recession hit, Schlitterbahn felt the effects 
as well. They they felt the effects as well as everyone else, meaning they had to start scaling back. The hotels and rentals were nixed, and the retail district was drastically downsized. Jeff was again arrested for marijuana charges in 2007, this time for only two to four ounces. So this was just his walking around weed. The park did eventually open in 2009, but its appearance was lackluster. Much of the area surrounding the park was just barren dirt because everything had been torn up for the construction that didn't happen. Every time I saw footage of it on the news, it looked so dystopian, like an oasis in a Mad Max movie or something. It's just like a couple of slides and then just surrounded by dirt. Every time I saw it on the news, it was just like, this looks like shit. Like, all my excitement was gone for... Yeah. Yeah. So needless to say, the park needed some good press. In 2012, while at an amusement park industry trade show... Jeff and Schooley were approached by producers for the Travel Channel looking for something sensational for their new season of Extreme Water Parks. With all the shrewd tactical cunning that Jeff was famous for, he blurted out, We're gonna build the biggest, tallest water slide in the world at Kansas City's Schlitterbahn! The producers were thrilled. The rest of Schlitterbahn was confused because they didn't know anything about this. But Jeff said it and therefore was determined to do it. No doubt he had that had this in mind after a different Brazilian company had taken the crown of tallest water slide with Kilimanjaro in 2002. Kilimanjaro was 163 feet tall, 49.9 meters. Jeff said, I'm from Texas, it's a matter of pride. And as Skip Hollinsworth put it, whenever he did interviews for the TV show, Jeff seemed obsessed with the water slide. It would go on to be called Verut, as if it were his white whale. I did it again. (laughs) Uh, So so now we get to our final story. Verut. The water slide, that's what it was called, is Verut, uh, which is German for crazy or insane. The water slide was 168 feet tall, 51.5 meters, and riders sped down its slopes at 70 miles per hour, or 112 kilometers per hour. Upon completion, it would be the tallest and fastest water slide in the world. This 17-story drop made the ride a few feet taller than Niagara Falls. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. So first, they constructed a smaller-scale version. The design was a 60-degree drop that almost felt like a freefall, and then a second shorter hump before a final descent into a lagoon. Simple in design, treacherous in execution. Well, I, hope, I hope you tell me that the second hump, they just whoosh, they just are ejecting out of it. So they kept testing and adjusting. Trial and error was how they did things. You know, if you don't have math or physics or engineering, you just keep trying it until you get it to work. Eventually, they built the full-size version. On extreme water parks, the footage showed multiple failed attempts of the raft filled with sandbags that ended with the raft flipping, flying off the track, or simply not making it over the second hump. Something Jeff would sometimes laugh about, but also show great concern about in the footage of their testing. He would later claim this was acting for the camera and was at the behest of producers. When they were satisfied with their sandbag raft tests, they moved on to human testing. Jeff Henry and John Schooley rode down the ride themselves, and afterwards, Schooley said, quote, Truly exciting, because we really didn't know if we were going to survive it or not. Usually on a ride, it might be scary, but you figure, you know, they have it figured out. We really didn't know if we had it figured out. <laughs> that, 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 that is exactly how I picture them doing things. The absolute pinnacle of water (laughs) engineering yeah throughout design building and rebuilding they reached out to mathematicians physicists and engineers for advice but believed they were all quote completely wrong (laughs) just stellar work boys Uh, that guy went to school he went to harvard ah he doesn't matter he's a fucking idiot (laughs) just throw him down the slide fucking intellectuals So the opening of Verut would be delayed several times as they tried to nail down the safety concerns. But it was still certified by the Guinness Book of World Records as the tallest water slide in the world. They had Guinness Book of World Records there. They also had the governor of Kansas at the time, Sam Brownback, a giant piece of shit, 
So this was like a huge opening, and as it should be, because a lot of people have a lot of money in this Kansas City water park becoming a success. And, you know, having the world's tallest water slide is a way to, like, get some really good publicity. So they added netting over the top and Velcro safety harnesses. Initially, they had an age restriction of 14, so nobody under that could ride it. But they got rid of that before it opened and uh, instead focused on a weight limit. They believed as long as the raft was between 400 and 550 pounds, the ride would be fine. It's kind of a it's kind of a big weight gap, you know, 150 pounds. That's well, that, a whole other person, like small person. But... Yeah, that's also like it's big and small at the same time. Like, what happens if you don't? get into that zone yes so these rafts are uh, supposed to have three people on them and they enforce that weight limit with a scale at the bottom of the 264 step climb and then you would be weighed again at the top and they would divide you into three people teams that fit within that weight requirement so the ride eventually opened on July 10th, 2014 Jeff and Schooley were there for the big reveal as they watched Jeff asked Schooley, man, are they hitting the net up there? That boat flew. That boat looked like it flew. He would later claim that he was acting for the camera and did not, in fact, see any boat fly. I'm sure that's nothing. You know, what could go wrong? You know, so cut to two years later, August 7th, 2016, Schlitterbahn offered free admission to Kansas elected officials and their family. State Representative Scott Schwab took his wife and their four boys for a fun day at the water park. At the so, time, so this has been open for two years and nothing bad's happened yet? We'll get to that. So at the time, admission f- was $45 for adults and 35 for children, so this saved them roughly $230. Solid deal. So Caleb and his older brothers had their eyes on Verut. They wanted on that. Of course, I mean, like, who, who like, what... Ten-year-old kid doesn't want to ride the world's tallest water slide just to, like, brag to your friends, you know? So they were both tall enough to pass the requirement, but they couldn't meet the weight requirement riding together. With his brother waiting at the end of the slide form, Caleb boarded the front of the boat with two adult women behind him. They just got paired up, so those three together met the requirements. A successful ride lasts only 18 seconds. After successfully sliding down the initial descent, the boat is hurled back up the second hill, but with Caleb only weighing 72 pounds in the front, the boat tipped back and launched Caleb into the metal arch that holds up the netting. He was decapitated instantly, and the other two passengers received facial injuries. In the aftermath of the grisly scene, Jeff Henry, John Schooley, and Tyler Miles were all arrested and charged with second-degree murder, aggravated battery, and aggravated endangerment of a child. Tyler Miles had started working at the park in 2013 as a construction worker before becoming a lifeguard and finally director of operations. Construction worker, lifeguard, director of operations. What yeah, you know, just climb. that normal that normal employment track. <laughs> it sounded like he went down and then back up. It's like... Yeah, I can't imagine you make more as a lifeguard than you do as a construction worker but i don't know they make good i was looking at their thing in texas they their starting pay is 17 dollars uh for lifeguards everything oh for anyone at schlitterbahn yeah not bad tyler miles miles was only charged with involuntary manslaughter the reason he was charged is because he had downplayed or lied about several instances where guests were complaining about getting hurt riding Verut. This was not the first time that someone had been injured. Now, but it was the first time someone got decapitated. Yes. Now, Jeff Henry claims that after he built the slide and after like they had their grand opening, he went off and like went to work on other slides, so he had no idea that there had been injuries, and if there had been injuries he would have been there working on it, making it safe again. He claims that. I don't know if it's true or not. But they were all charged, like, 
Jeff and Schooley were both charged with second degree murder. Miles was uh, Tyler Miles was charged with involuntary manslaughter. But all charges would eventually be dismissed due to illegal evidence used at the grand jury. They went to jail and were booked and charged with these crimes. But while the prosecutor was convincing the grand jury to take it to trial, he had used stuff that was inadmissible, so the judge had to dismiss it. Wow. Yeah. Once the investigation was over, Verut was torn down, which sucks because, like, so, like, this horrific scene, kids' blood all over the slide, the slide just had to sit there for two years while, like, they investigated it and combed over it and got ready for this trial. So it's just, like, like it's the world's tallest water slide. You can see it from a real fucking far long way away. So it's just this, like, bad omen hanging over Kansas City for years. And so finally, the investigation's concluded. Verrucht is torn down. The, the Schwab family received a $20 million settlement. The two women who were riding with Caleb also received settlements, but those were undisclosed. Schlitterbahn was hit hard by the incident, eventually selling most of their parks or having them seized for failure to pay. And se- uh, it severely reduced their future plans. As of now, Jeff, now 66, this would have been when he was 63 uh, back in 2018, was when he was charged with the, uh, charged and jailed. When he was dismissed, man, he, uh, he actually got arrested again. <laughs> For, for completely different charges. He was staying at a Mary, Miriam hotel, and he was caught in an altercation with a sex worker, and he was arrested for possession of... Marijuana. Meth. 48 grams of meth. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Old Jeff finally went for the hard stuff. Uh, he was on probation, and if he... And he is still on probation, and if he violates it, he could face up to 57 months in prison. That's the guy who was who's making your slides. Yep. So, why did this happen? Remember how I said the CPSC monitors roller coasters? So, that was true when the CPSC was created. And then nine years later, in 1981, it was determined that the CPSC does not have jurisdiction over roller coasters. This is why several times I brought up the uh, the department state of the state's department of agriculture being the ones like investigating and everything is because there is no federal oversight for roller coasters anymore. See so like all? No. None. So the CPSC when they started, we're doing it. Uh, and then in 1981, there was two cases about injuries on roller coasters. And uh, two different judges, two different cases. One judge determined that they did have jurisdiction. The other determined that they did not. Basically, this became known as the roller coaster loophole. And lobbyists had been working on getting rid of it since the CPSC was created. Essentially, the argument is that they are not a product consumers purchase. The coasters are purchased by the amusement park, and the attendees purchase the experience of riding it. So it doesn't fall under the products and services. I mean, they they need to have something federally. Yeah, currently they don't, and it's just left up to state and local so, Lost. if you want a really elaborate plan to kill somebody, create a roller coaster and get them on, on it and make sure something bad happens when they're riding it. Good plan. So, the CPSC does still have jurisdiction over traveling carnival rides, and that still doesn't mean much. It still mostly only means an annual inspection. According to Insurance Journal... So when an amusement company takes apart a Ferris wheel in Indiana, drives it to Tennessee, and puts it back together at five county fairs, no one from the state checked to be sure if it was working in working order. The state relied on the Indiana inspection and gave it permission to start spinning. It broke at the Greene County Fair last week. If you get inspected in one state, 
for the rest of the year, no matter how many times you take it apart and move it and put it back together, you're good. That's genius, right? Yeah. Well, America's such a great country. <laughs> we should do a whole episode. I wonder like how many deaths have been on like carnival like breakdown and take carnivals like that. Yeah, so I, I was gonna have some carnival rides, but then I found the Schlitterbahn story and was just like, Well, we have to talk about this. Yeah. Fucking Jeff's out there like catching mongooses one week and d- designing water slides the next and he did it for like 40 years uh yeah yeah pretty much yeah like i said there's no federal oversight of roller coasters and instead it's up to state and local law to regulate this means in states like texas where jeff henry was made famous and kansas where he was made infamous the rules are very lax which is why a dipshit who can barely pass high school is allowed to deem their own ride safe despite clear evidence to the contrary like so, in, in Kansas, a ride is determined sta- safe if it's inspected by the ride manufacturer, which is Jeff. Jeff gets to inspect his own rides and be like, yep, this is safe. Yep, I did. I went down it and I didn't die this time. It's okay. And I mean, like, to his credit, he he did have, like, a pretty substantial career with very few actual incidents. incidents. Was, that, was that his first death? Sort of. So there was also an event at the South Padre Schlitterbahn where a maintenance man and a lifeguard were inside one of the um, wave pool wave generators and someone turned it on. The lifeguard was killed and the maintenance guy was severely injured. But that's... Nothing from like a slide though? Not as far as I could find. There, There's almost certainly been injuries that like either didn't get reported or got downplayed, like what Tyler Miles did for Verruth. As, as far as I could tell, this is like the really the only major incident. Water slides are even less regulated than water than roller coasters. Uh, the only necessity is essentially just like insurance and an annual inspection, and not like a safety inspection per se, just like an inspection. The annual inspections criteria is set by the insurers. So if you've got somebody who will back you for a million dollars, like it could be like completely fucked, but as long as they're willing to back it and like say it's good, it's it's just good. Yeah. The, the inspector walks in there, he just slaps it and see if it falls apart. And he's like, oh, it's fine. Uh, I'll see you guys next year. Seven states, Mississippi, Alabama, Nevada, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, and Utah don't even require annual inspections. Now, those states also don't really have a lot of attractions, but still, they don't care. (laughs) A spokesman uh, for the International Association of Amusement Parks, let's see, what was it? David Mant, the executive vice president of the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions, claimed that injuries are rare and that a federal program would only waste taxpayers' money. And for now, they've successfully kept it that way. But with like some of the incidents I went through, like Caitlin Lassiter, who got her legs ripped off by the Tower of Power, like Ed Markey, a senator in um, Massachusetts, like there's quite a few people that like come out after every one of these incidents and are like, "We need federal regulation." And the lobbyists are like, "No." I guess oh. it's just, I guess because there's not enough deaths and there's just uh, it's just not a big enough thing that they don't care. Like, yeah. So uh, some states do have very strict guidelines, like New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Florida. New Jersey and Pennsylvania have thorough state trained inve- uh, inspectors that inspect every attraction. Florida also has pretty strict guidelines, but. In Florida, it has an exemption where parks with over a thousand employees are allowed to carry out their own inspections, meaning Disney, Universal, Busch Gardens, and SeaWorld all get to inspect themselves. All the good ones. Yeah. We investigated uh, our, ourselves and found no wrongdoing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Disney's not trying to kill anybody, but I did hear like a weird sketchy thing about Disney to where you'd, why you don't hear any 
injuries or like deaths or anything that bad happens is that when it happens that they get you off their property almost instantly before like you can die or before like your your injury is determined or anything so if you do get injured on disney's property because it's not determined there so because they move them to a hospital or somewhere off it right away because they're declared dead at that hospital they aren't declared they didn't technically die at disney yeah so so like they supposedly move you instantly when something wrong happens to you there there's a reason that i didn't put disney on the list it's because uh the House of Mouse sent their uh, goon squad after me, and he was like, if you hook him to report us, we'll fucking kill you. Um, no, but uh, th- the reason I didn't do Disney is uh, just because it's far too vast to be just done as, like, parts of an episode. Um, there was this one case in, like, the 70s where they had a rotating stage, and, like, an 18-year-old who had just started working there that week got caught between the two walls of the rotating stage and got crushed. But I, di- I didn't do those because Disney's going to have to be a, its own thing. God knows how many episodes that'll be, but not for today. So, after a woman was killed after being flung from a ride in Tennessee in 2004, legisla- legislators scrambled to pass laws requiring operators to have insurance permits and inspections. But a 2014 state audit found that ride inspection unit was failing, so the state stopped inspecting altogether. <laughs> Just, hey, man, if we if we don't inspect it, you know they can't get sued. Yeah. So the CPSC estimates that 37,300 people of all ages went to emergency rooms in 2015 for amusement ride-based injuries. I say estimate because they don't actually keep track because it's not their jurisdiction anymore. So, that's what I've got for today. If you'll notice, there's also a very specific park besides Disney that I did not cover at all. That's because we'll be talking about it next week. Needs its own episode as well. So, Kevin, do you have anything? Final thoughts? I love the episode, and I hope we keep down these types of roads. This is super interesting, and I love it. Other than that, just make sure you follow us on Twitter at what underscore we underscore consume and on Instagram at what we consume podcast. Just so you can keep up with us and we throw the episode up there and other pictures and information. And I am at King Hagathor, no spaces, on Twitter. Other than that, bye bye <laughs>